Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Tom Bilyeu founder of Quest Nutrition and Quest Bars, and also founder of Impact Theory. You might have heard of him. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. We're going to talk about how to build Web3 projects, and it's going to be a fascinating discussion where we go into a lot of Tom's views on the challenges of building in public and kind of his vision on where he sees this entire industry going. I think you're going to find it super, super fascinating by the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter, and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Just hit the follow button on your podcasting app. It'll automatically download all of our future episodes. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's now transition over to this week's interview with Tom Bilyeu. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Tom Bilyeu. If you don't know who he is, he's the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, the company behind Quest Bars, which I used to eat like crazy. He's also host of the Impact Theory podcast and a company by the same name. His NFT project is called Impact Theory Founders Keys, of which I am a holder. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about a whole bunch of things related to building Web3 projects and all the great stuff that you've got going on. But before I go there, I would love to hear a little bit of your backstory as far as the journey into NFTs and Web3. And if you want to go back to Quest Nutrition, feel free, go wherever you want to go. Yeah. So I'll give you a super quick nutshell. And then if you want to go in deeper on anything, by all means, let me know. So from the time I was 12, I knew I wanted to be in storytelling. I would have assumed back then that that was going to be filmmaking. To cut a very long story short, I get into business in order to be able to control access to the resources so I can tell the kind of stories that I actually want to tell. I thought it would take 18 months. It took 15 years and multiple companies, but it did end up working and took that, exited Quest and started Impact Theory now six and a half years ago. And then about two years ago, maybe a little more than two years now, heard the letters NFT strung together for the first time. And I looked at the technology and based on what my understanding of the technology was, 
I realized, whoa, this is going to change everything. And I love talking about this now when everything is down, you know, because before it seemed like, okay, you're just riding the hype train. When in reality, I, I really was looking at the technology and saying, okay, this is going to give birth to an entirely new form of entertainment. When was it when you discovered that? Was there a certain collection? Did you see somebody else doing it and it inspired you? I'm just curious, like that entry journey. No, it didn't start with the collection. So it started with, there were two people that came to me and said, hey, you really need to look at this thing called NFTs. I had never heard of it before looked it up and realized, oh my God, I think five years before that, one of the guys that is building out, I think their company is just called Spatial.io. God, I hope I'm not misquoting that. I met him. His name is Eric Pollier, and he was working on a different company at the time, but he showed me this thing that at the time he called V Adams. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, whoa, this is going to change everything. And I was back at Quest. I'm almost certain I was still at Quest when he showed me that. And I was like, wow, this is really going to change things. But then I promptly forgot about it because it just wasn't ready. It was like, hey, once that's adopted, that'll be really cool. But it's not real. And the, the thing that really got me was digital scarcity. And so as an entrepreneur, you realize very quickly that if you have an online community, this is obviously before I knew what the blockchain was. You're just like, oh man, it's so easy to spoof anything that is digital. And so you end up just sort of backing off all of those ideas to reward your community and stuff. And when he showed me that, I was like, that's the thing I've been looking for that would actually allow me to reward people with something digital. It will make digital things matter. And so when I looked at NFTs, I was like, oh my God, this is that V Adams thing. I'm like, and it looks like it's really real now. So for the first time hearing NFT said, 72 hours later, we had pivoted our entire company to be a Web3 company wow. and just understanding what the technology was. And so where you see there's a, a real rogue wave of opportunity that comes when AI and blockchain collide. And so that became our thesis very quickly and just moved with massive aggression into the space and haven't looked back. So when you started Impact Theory, do you remember what month it was? Was it was 2021, right? So the Founders Keys launched in October of 2021. And what was the vision back then and how has it kind of changed? So the the vision in the beginning was, okay, we're building the next Disney and I want to give you something that's like imagine if you had a single frame of celluloid from uh, Steamboat Willie. For anybody that knows Disney history, like that was the birth of Mickey Mouse. And I just thought, oh, man, that'd be so cool because you're releasing something that the vast majority of humanity will not believe in. And there's going to be this small diehard group of people that are like, yo, this Mickey Mouse thing, this is going to be something I can just feel it. And then what would it be like for them if that were an online key that unlocked all of these things that even I can't predict, but that there's going to be all this cool stuff that's going to happen in the future. And it's like this collectible with utility that nods to people that believed in it really early. And so that was the idea. I was like, okay, there's some things that I know that I'm going to do, but for the vast majority of things, because we look at impact theory as a 70 year plan. It's look, nobody can see beyond three years when you've got AI and things changing as fast as they're changing now, but it gives you a long-term mentality. It makes you think multi-generational, which is really what I'm trying to do by saying it's a 70 year plan. So it's just like, there's no way that I know all the things that I'm going to do, but just using the simple analogy of lock and key, it, it gave us a cool way to think about, okay, hey, you guys are excited about what we're building. You want to own something because my whole thing was I'm not interested in flipping. This isn't about financial anything for me. This is about something that people love and want to hold on to, which, dude, when I was saying that in the early days of, you know, 2021, people were like, dude, this is ridiculous. This guy doesn't get it. 
I was sort of drugged behind the scenes. It's like, oh, he doesn't understand Web3, et cetera, et cetera. And I warned people, if you don't have emotional resonance to your project, you're going to get eaten alive. You, you just won't last. Or if you don't understand business, which we've seen a lot of projects that come to the fact that they, their founders just aren't entrepreneurs. They're very talented artists. In a lot of cases, great marketers, but they don't know how to run a business. So that felt like those are going to be the two key differentiators, you know, as an experienced entrepreneur that also understood the value in these things has to be in the owning of it and the holding of it and the utility versus wanting to flip it, right? So that really does become a greater fool theory. If, if you're only buying something because you think somebody else is going to want it, and certainly if you're building in that way, it's just destined to fail. So anyway, that seemed very clear to me very early on. So that was how we wanted to build it. We wanted to set people up with that analogy. This is like owning a piece of celluloid from the, you know, the earliest thing of Mickey Mouse. The vast majority of humanity is going to think it's stupid, but the people that really get it early, then they're going to get access to all this cool stuff over time. And so that was the plan. Now, the way that things have changed, if I knew now what I knew then, I never would have done a roadmap. Roadmaps are a nightmare, especially when you're dealing with new technology. And I am very aggressive by nature. And so I, I am the person for whom the quote, people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. That was built for me. And so realizing just how true that is, even in areas that I know well, versus an area that I don't know well, which is game development, because that's ultimately the, we needed a hub that became really clear, really fast. Like we've got all this IP that we're developing, because if you're doing a Disney strategy, it's very counter to what most people are doing, which is they create a piece of IP, right? So take V friends or board API club. And everything is about that one thing. I knew that wasn't the strategy I wanted to run, that I was going to be telling new stories all the time. And so we needed one place for them to live. We needed a place for the PFPs to matter. We needed a place for this all to come alive. And so that takes you into game development. And so that I woefully underestimated how brutally difficult the learning curve was going to be on that. But now that we've got it, it's like, I'm glad we did it. I have a very similar feeling that I had in the early days of Quest where you're like, oh, if I had known that the light at the end of the tunnel was an oncoming train, I might not have done this. But you know, now that we've got a, a pipeline, we understand game development, we've got a 3D workflow, all that stuff, it's really exciting. But it was a brutal 12 months, maybe a little bit less than that, where I really felt like I was just getting kicked in the face every day. But on the other side of that is, is knowledge. And that knowledge becomes incredibly useful. Uh, so we're we're in a good place now, but that that's the biggest way that it's evolved. Well, we're going to get into uh, some of Project Kaizen and some other stuff a little bit later. But first, to my audience that's listening, that is in the Web two world and are looking into Web three, maybe they're entrepreneurs, fellow entrepreneurs, or marketers working for businesses that want to bring that existing business into the world of Web three. What are some things that maybe you've learned? that you think might be useful for uh, everyone who's about to go down this brutal path that you just described? What's some, some thoughts for those folks? Well, so it's, it's very different if we're talking Web3 or if we're talking game development. So game development was the hard thing. For anybody going into game development, I'll just say, go buy a game development company. If you've got the capital, don't try to build the team. Go find a team that's already produced something. I, I could have saved myself a lot of suffering had I done that. 
But in terms of Web3, here, here's my core thesis. You need to understand the technology. You need to have a thesis about what that technology is going to make possible, and then just build to that possibility. If you're thinking about, ooh, this is going to make a lot of money, this whole like monetization of everything is the best thing ever, or what this really is about is decentralization, you're just already barking up the wrong tree. The, the whole point, build a product that people want. That, that's going to be the core. And so when I looked at Web3, I was like, oh, this makes a new form of game possible that wasn't possible before, and I think it's better. And so my thesis around disruption is, in any moment of disruption, there's a real opportunity for a new company to leapfrog all the old companies. But you have to be different, and you have to be better. And so in a moment of disruption, you have an opportunity to be different because something new is now possible, right? The blockchain makes something possible that wasn't possible before. AI makes things possible that weren't possible before. AI plus blockchain creates what we call borderless entertainment. And so for us, being able to see that faster than basically anybody, if I'm going to be really honest, was just, it was too big of an opportunity to pass up. Now, I'm hyper aware that whenever you do something this bold, you could get the timing wrong, you could get the thesis wrong and just end up crashing and burning. I'm just not afraid of failing. What I'm afraid of is not capitalizing on these moments when they present themselves because they don't present themselves very often. So yeah, wanted to, to really go hard on that. So I would encourage people as you think about, you know, what am I doing here? It's, it's really... You have to understand it as a technology far more than a social movement. I think people are really focused on trying to make this a top-down thing that we cram on to Web2 people. And this is one of the, the things leveled at me was people were saying, uh, he doesn't have the right to use our memes. And it's like, I get it. Like when you've got this new thing, you have a vibe and you want to keep that vibe. But that's not you thinking about the end user. That's you thinking about you have a club and some people you're going to let into the club and, and some you won't. And hey, fair enough, that's where luxury brands are born. And that's just not me, right? So I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to do something for the masses where I'm saying this either is better or it's not. And if it's better, I don't have to convince people. They will simply come to it. I have to make an experience that wasn't possible before. And so that's what I encourage people to do. Understand the technology, make something that wasn't possible before, make sure it's different and better. And then the world will simply come, not because it's Web3, they're going to come because that thing is better. You kind of alluded that you're not scared of failing, which, and I'm not either. I believe that we should fail fast, but what you are scared of is not seizing, it seems like, this opportunity. So I would love you to kind of explain what you mean by that. Like, what is the thing that maybe not everybody else is grasping that is here for the taking, if you will? Yeah, so what the blockchain does is it introduces irreversible transactions. So it brings the laws of physics to the virtual world. And that is a paradigm shift, the likes of which we've never seen before. So right now, so much of the the things that we value, we value because they have certain properties that you can sum up by saying irreversible transaction. So if I jump off of a roof, I am going to fall and there is no taking it back. If I stain my sweatshirt, there's no taking it back. If I burn my sweatshirt, there's no taking it back. So all of these things create the sense of fragility, impermanence, a sense of if I have it, it's mine, that other people can't just come and take it, that if there's only 10, there's really only 10, and scarcity matters to the human mind, whether it should or not, it does, that for all of human history, we have traded on the back of that which is scarce. So the thing that is most scarce matters the most, right? Like literally just matters the most. So gold, 
The reason that gold matters is because it's durable, it crosses time and space, it doesn't rot, but it's also provably scarce. So you get into like, oh, okay, well, scarcity is, is just a thing that is able to anchor people to this thing matters. Now, once this thing matters, you can do a lot with it. You can turn it into money, but that isn't the only application. And so as somebody who coming from entertainment, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about, okay, what new game experience becomes a thing that I have this blockchain? And we sum it up with borderless entertainment. So borderless entertainment has three traits and they're born of both the blockchain and AI. And the three traits are it's borderless. So it hands off seamlessly from the game world to the real world and back. That is all blockchain all the time. Wherever your digital assets go, the gaming experience can follow you. Your relationship with characters can follow you out into the real world. Because at any time through AR, I can trigger an event because one, if you let me, I know where you are. I know what you're passing by. So just to give one example, one of our projects is called Merry Mods. It's a Christmas project. So I could do something like tag all the most famous Christmas trees with a video experience based on the character that you own, right? Your NFT from our project based on what character you own and what Christmas tree you're in the physical vicinity of because of the blockchain. I now know that's you. I know your history and I can display something that's unique to you. And so that's the second part, which is these are highly tailored worlds. So it is now not a question of, are you at the computer and thusly can play the game? It's just a question of, do you want to engage? And then the game is going to be a, a far more intimate experience that is tied to you and the choices you've made. And that brings us to the third thing, which is that these, these are living worlds. And so you're, because of AI, you're gonna be able to have real relationships with characters this isn't quite possible yet today, but don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where the puck is going to be. And I would say in the very, very near term, you will have characters inside of games that pass the Turing test. So you'll build real relationships with characters in the game that are as real to you as some of the people that you know in your real life. And now when you can take that beyond the confines of a console or a computer, and thanks to AR, you can take that outside into the real world, you now have a truly immersive game world that you really inhabit. You have real relationships with the characters. The game has true memory. The characters remember you. They remember past interactions. And so it just becomes a far, far, far richer world. And so we think those three things put together are a radical departure from the games that people know now, from the patterns of engagement that people know now. And we think that it will be inevitable that people will find that to be a far richer, far more interesting experience. And if you can infuse that with our thing, which is empowerment, so that people aren't just getting sucked into an advertising scheme, but it's actually making their lives better, we think that it will really be just an incredible paradigm shift in not just entertainment, but the way that we engage with life. And we could spend the next 45 minutes just on what the implications of that are, which I think are very profound, but that's our approach. Awesome. I want to ask you a little bit about growth mindset because you have this thing called Impact Theory University and you've got this whole course on growth mindset. Maybe just explain to me a little bit. And by the way, this is something I expound to all of my staff and my company. We're all big, big proponents of growth mindset. Help everybody understand maybe what growth mindset is and how growth mindset is somehow weaving its way into all the things that you're doing. 
Yeah, so growth mindset can be summed up really simply, and I would really encourage people to read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. It, it is, I, I think it's the most important book anybody can read. I highly encourage that. But a growth mindset is very simply, you believe your talent and intelligence are not fixed traits. They are malleable traits. And that if you put time and energy into getting better at something, you will actually get better. So realizing that, oh, I'm not good at that thing. Cool, no worries, not a death sentence, it's not a permanent state of affairs. If you wanna get better at it, just apply time and energy to getting better and you will acquire more skills. Doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to outperform, like if I picked up basketball today, I'm just not gonna outperform LeBron James. But it's so close to true that you can get better than anyone at anything on a long enough timeline that you might as well act as if it's true. And my life and so many other people's lives are a reflection of the truth of the statement, what I call the only belief that matters, that if you put time and energy into getting better at something, you will get better, and that those skills have utility, meaning they let you do something in the real world that other people can't do. How does this growth mindset work its way into maybe what you're building here with the entertainment, the game? Is there somehow is, is there somehow a connection between this concept of growth mindset and what you're planning to do here with the development of of Kaizen and everything else you've got going on? 100%. So every storytelling format, whether it's comic books, video games, movies, TV, doesn't matter. They all revolve around a theme. And a theme is ultimately at the center of everything that you do. And a theme sort of simply stated is there is a thing that you believe to be true about the world. And you are going to explore all the avenues of that through your story. And the best stories look at both sides of the argument that Hey, like if we were doing a theme around growth mindset, well, let's look at how would a fixed mindset play out? How would a character who believes our talent and intelligence are not changeable? What does that look like? Are you better off embracing that idea? Or is it, hey, maybe this is a better idea that you can change, but what if it's not true, right? And so you explore all of those different things. And so every story that Impact Theory does, regardless of format, because we tell stories and all of the things that I listed before, you want to explore all the different elements of that theme. And so for us, our thesis is that yes, a growth mindset is true and you are better off embracing it than not. And so all of our characters will address that from a thousand different angles. So the way that we sum up impact theory is we tell one kind of story over and over and over from a thousand different angles. And if you want to know what that looks like in practice, that's Disney for up until let's call it maybe 28, 2009, something around there, where they started just hardcore acquisition, bringing on brands that weren't as aligned. But Disney, which by the way, was brilliant from a corporate structure standpoint, just not as it will dilute their brand over time. But what Disney did for a very long time was they told one kind of story over and over and over from a thousand different angles. And it gave birth to what we call Americana. So my thing is, if Disney can build the most magical place on earth by taking that strategy and, and just telling the same kind of story, same kind of moral, same kind of theme over and over and over, could we build the most empowering place on earth? I love it. I love it. Okay. Building in public, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier in your story, but it seems as if in the world of Web3, when you have people that have invested into an NFT project, it seems as if the expectation of the community is that you ought to constantly discuss your plans. And I would love to know what your thoughts are about building in public, because I bet you didn't do that when you built Quest. So what have you learned about building in public? Do you advise that it be done or is it got pros and cons? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, so it definitely does have pros and cons. I think inevitably you are building in public to a certain extent, no matter what. You might build your first product privately and then you're hoping somebody uses it. So the pro is that you're building something that you believe people actually want. And so when you're doing that in public, you get feedback very quickly and you know, oh, are people resonating with this or not? And that is so important. So building something in a vacuum that nobody cares about, that's that's the recipe for going out of business. Now, I will say I respond violently to the idea of people investing in an NFT. I do not advise that people do that. I think that that will be the downfall of the entire industry. First of all, the SEC will just smash that to death with a hammer. So just brace yourself for that. Well, and I love that because the SEC did come talk to you guys, right? I mean, like. Oh, dude, the, the SEC is full court pressing this industry in the most aggressive way you can possibly imagine. And for that reason. Now, look, none of us can read the minds of the SEC. So so I do not claim to speak for them. Right. But when I reach into the future, I, it is self-evident to me, given the way that they're moving that they are trying to classify all of this as securities. I think that's a catastrophic error, but look, it is what it is. And so we in the industry need to be thoughtful, which is why I always take the time to say that I do not like the use of that word. How would you describe it then? A membership, something along those lines? Would that be the way to it? No, the way I always describe it is it is a collectible with utility. I like that. If you approach it as a collectible, like would I buy this statue, or am I only buying the statue because I think it's going to be worth more money in the future? That is a suicide run. If you buy the statue because you're like, I want the statue in my house and it's dope and it's cool, then cool, you're on the right track. Now, if owning that statue makes magical things happen in your life, because we now live in a world where, again, it's borderless, the fact that you have the statue follows you wherever you want it to follow you. Now, because of in the nice thing about blockchain is you decide what you expose to the world and what you don't. But now you can communicate to people, hey, I want you to know that I have a statue. And I want that to matter as I walk around the real world. I want that to matter when I go into somebody else's project. Like we're going to be making announcements in the coming months and hopefully years. We'll partner with more and more projects. And so what you once thought only existed in their world is now also going to exist in Project Kaizen, right? And so that is the play, right? That's where, oh, now that this is digital, this gets a lot more interesting. And so collectibles with utility. I just want everybody to revolve around that. Buy something because you have an emotional connection to it. And our jobs as creators is to make you care about what that represents, right? I want you to care about the thing before you buy the NFT, right? That's how we view what we need to do. So we're trying to like, as everybody else is driving prices up, we're trying to drive prices down. So our cheapest NFT inside of Kaizen, look, it fluctuates because it's priced in ETH, but is about $6. Might be a little bit less than that today, given the price of ETH, but it's like, it's cheap. It's cheap, cheap. Right, right. So that's where we want to exist. By the way, thank you for this. Back to building in public. You were saying one of the pros of building in public, which is kind of a expectation in the world of Web3, is that you get a chance to iterate very, very quickly. Any other pros to building in public that you think are worth talking about? And also any things we need to be wary of when building in public? Yeah. So more pros, you get to build a community. You're with other like-minded people that really love what you're doing. If you're doing it right, it really bothered me in the beginning. I could tell people were in it for the financial energy. And I hated that, hated that. So we did a refund. I don't know how many people know about that, but I was just like, yo, this isn't fun for me. It's not fun for you. Like if you would like your money back, take your money back. And that holds true. We haven't spent the ETH that we took in for the project. So that way, look, if, if this goes bust, I just, I will give people their ETH back. 
that matters a lot to me in terms of keeping my own sanity, by the way, because I can never guarantee that something is going to work. So, and that, that takes us to the cons. I don't want to do things that are short term. And if people with financial Web3 energy, the energy is finally dispersing a little bit and you get uh, a broader breadth of people in it for different reasons, which I'm very excited about. But when people are in it for the financial energy and they just want number go up, it's like you, you're asking for people to build momentary excitement so that they can exit. And then you're back to this horrendous cycle of, well, it's inevitable that unless I made people emotionally care, that it's just going to come right back down. So my community still every now and then will ask me, you know, try to ask in like new and clever ways, like what I think about the floor price. And my thing is, I don't think about the floor price. What I think about is making people care. Now, I have a feeling that over time, if people love what you're building, that the secondary market's going to do what the secondary market's going to do. You just make people love your thing. And that's that. Everything else is going to take care of itself. And so I want to build something that people, you'd have to pry it out of their cold, dead hands. And so that part of it wasn't fun in the beginning. I think the vast majority of that energy has gone away. And then I will remind people that, so one of the bridges that you're going to have to cross as a Web3 project is the vast, 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 vast majority of humanity does not know or care about what Web3 is, nor should you make them care. So just like people don't know what a TCP IP protocol is, they don't know what HTTPS means, and they shouldn't have to, but they can use the life out of Uber and Amazon and DoorDash, right? It adds a ton of value to their life. So you want to think about building Uber, Amazon, DoorDash, Netflix, all of those things, and not force feeding people decentralization or wallets or self-custody or any of that stuff. Humanity just doesn't care. If it's hard, they're not going to do it. So we as a company, we need the architecture of Web3 to make borderless entertainment possible. So just by the nature of what the technology is, we're always going to be a Web3 company. But I'm not going to wear that on my sleeve. I, I like talking about it to the community of people that understand it. Right. But that's not how we promote it, right? So the way that we promote it is this game is more fun than your other games, right? That's it. Like, you're going to have a better time here. This is cooler stuff. I don't even market like the empowerment. The empowerment, that's, I'm not trying to make broccoli taste good, okay? I'm trying to make candy good for you. So that, that is a distinction I learned back at Quest. For the record, I love broccoli. Okay, so Kaizen, I was at your event at VCon where you had a private little event and you unveiled kind of where Kaizen is going. And here's what we know so far. You said it's a game. And I know that there's characters that you can create inside this game. You said you got a 70-year vision. I don't know if you have a 70-year vision for Kaizen, but like, what's the vision specifically with Kaizen? I'm curious. Okay. So I'll tell you the parts that I can tell you. And I think this is part of what you were trying to ask me about building in public, because there are going to be things you have to keep back. If you don't, you won't be able to sustain excitement. If your community already knows everything, you can't create these really peak moments, which is very important. So um, the vision for Kaizen is we want to create a container. So I think a, a real key part of what Web3 as a social movement is about is really Roblox and Minecraft. And it's just Roblox and Minecraft, people that grew up with that, being able to create inside of their favorite IP being able to express themselves, we're just seeing that mature. And so I don't think that genie goes back in the bottle. I think that people want to be able to, oh, you created an experience for me? Cool, I want to do that. 
But then there are going to be times where I want to create my own experience. And so we want to do that. So we want to build that container for Web3, where one, from a story perspective, it's, it is all encompassing. And that will become clear what I mean by that as people learn more about the story. won't reveal all of that yet because I do want those story beat moments to happen. But the high level thing is our world is a, a simulation. And because it's a simulation, very cool new things can be created. And if you've read Ready Player One, you will have a very clear sense of where I'm trying to take this. So we want people to be able to express themselves both at the character level, at the lore level. So telling their own character story, creating what we call an instance. So in the story world of Kaizen, it's a multiverse, not a single universe. So if you think of a quantum foam, that's what we call the array. A quantum foam? What, what is a quantum foam? <laughs> so, so this is a real theory, by the way. So oh, okay. the, the theory goes that not only are there multiple universes, that there's basically an infinite number of universes. And some of the weird things that we see with gravity are because gravity is actually shared. Gravity exists at the quantum foam level. And so you've got all these universes that are in a larger medium. We'll call that the quantum foam. And so there's all these pocket universes. So our version, that name that we give to that quantum foam is the array. And that everything inside of the array is code. And so each universe is unique code sitting inside of this quantum foam, the array. And the people will learn more about how all that works as, as the story beats happen. So anyway, that creates the ability for players to come in and say, oh, cool. I'm going to define my corner of the quantum foam. And here's my instance, here's my character, here's my lore, all of that. And then we're also building some aspects of the gameplay, not all, but some aspects of the gameplay where users will be able to go in and create their own maps, et cetera. And so our goal is we have to differentiate what we're doing from a Roblox or a Minecraft or what's going on in Unreal Engine Fortnite Builder, which is amazing. Like all of this stuff is incredible. And so I don't want to take on Fortnite. So again, different and better. So we're trying to build something that's completely different that leverages Web3 and what all that means and digital assets and what all that means. And really on a long enough timeline, because I do need the SEC to figure out how they're going to regulate all this. But we have a vision for how creators would be able to monetize within our container, but they won't be able to until the SEC figures out exactly what they're doing. But we do have that mapped out assuming that regulatory clarity does come into existence. Let's hope. <laughs> uh, speak to your local representative, boys and girls. So yeah, that in a nutshell, that's the, the strategy. And then just really fast, we, we build everything in phases. So people can already right now go build their character inside of what, what I will say is the best bar none avatar creation engine, period. We made different and better. We made a different trade-off. So you can't make it look like you, right? That requires a lot of like ability to change the face and things like that. What people don't think about is then that stops you from being able to change your clothes or your helmet or your glasses and all that because you've now changed the structure of the face. So we've simplified the body structure, but then beyond that, you can intercombine things you couldn't intercombine anywhere else. And that was brutally difficult and is the thing when I say this is really hard. And if I had only known then what I know now. So we took on a challenge that nobody else has taken on because nobody else is dumb enough. It's one of those where you get trapped by what you know. So they knew how hard it would be. So they just don't do it. We didn't know how hard it would be. So we built this engine that lets us intercombine things. But to give you an idea, we have something like 40,000 unique assets. We had to because as you intercombine, you get these interpenetrations, all these collisions, clipping as it's known. And so we had to create this huge like data structure that 
you can map out how you have to like map, you know, like this helmet goes with this version of this jacket kind of thing yeah. to allow people to, to be far more creative. In my estimation, some people will say, hey, I just want to make it look like me. Fair enough. We made a completely different trade-off. Well, I do think sometimes when you don't know what you're getting into is when you get a chance to reinvent the whole thing, which is what I'm excited about, right? Because no one else will. I want to talk a little bit about partnerships in Web3. You kind of hinted a little bit at this earlier. How important is this going to be for the future of what you're, you're doing? Yeah, I don't think it's a Web3 thing. Well, let me rephrase. Your project in particular, you have someone who handles partnerships. I met her, right? We have a whole division, yeah. Yeah, so talk about why partnerships are going to be so important for your project in particular. So I think partnerships are going to be important for basically every project. And so for there, something happened in the world. So as an entrepreneur, you have to be very in tune with what's going on culturally. And so I don't know if it's social media, probably, probably social media, where you saw this really early in music, right? Back Run DMC, and Aerosmith collabing. And that was like, whoa, what? This is crazy. And Beastie Boys too. Yes. And then, so it starts to rev up. You see more and more of that. Social media comes along. It explodes because now you're like, oh, I want to get attention for my thing. Let me collab with somebody else. And now both of our audiences are coming together. So now people are just so used to it, it becomes an expectation. But it really is an incredibly powerful way to, to bring new eyeballs to a project, right? So you find a group that's philosophically aligned or they're building something that's like you or you just love them, whatever. So people want a glimpse into the future of the kinds of people that we will partner. You need to only look at the things that I'm obsessed with. And you would, you know, at least I'm going after them. They, they may shoot me down, but I'm going to go after them. What, what does that make possible? Like help everybody understand why that's, you kind of hinted at it a little bit, but like, is it a massive accelerant to your growth? And, or is it like a better together than separate? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, so it's one, the more people you know that are good at something, the better off you are. You're going to be able to exchange ideas. So even just behind the scenes, it's radically important to meet as many people focused on the same things that you're focused on that you like is humanly possible. Two, you're able to get more heat together, right? So you guys are able to do something that you couldn't do apart. And so it brings more energy, more focus, more attention, which from a marketing standpoint is critically important. And then if you believe in the same vision that I believe in, which is that what we all want to work towards is complete interoperability so that people can, like, if you own, like I own my Kaizen sweatshirt, right? I wear it all the time. Now, if when I tried to leave my house, I, I couldn't exit because my sweatshirt is, you know, only able to be rendered in that space, eh, like that becomes a lot less cool, right? There's just so much friction. And so I think everybody can taste that, once standards get put into place, once, you know, let's say everything's on Unreal Engine, everybody knows how to cross experience, render something, at a minimum, you're able to take the visual sense of who you are. Now, there are certain things that become very difficult. The hardest thing to do is going to be any sort of direct PvP combat because target zone, zone size, all that kind of stuff matters. And so that will be very hard. Balancing weapons, that will be very hard. But any common space, you would expect to be able to present yourself however you want to present yourself. And that at a minimum, those things would communicate. So I would want people that, you know, if you love, like, let's say that you're, we have not reached out to these guys, just giving an example. But if you really love cool cats and you want to roll up in Project Kaizen and present as a cool cat, okay, word, like do your thing, right? I don't care. Like come in, be a cool cat. I'm all for it. That's the way that we, I think all as an industry are like, that's a cooler future 
than one where all of this stuff is disconnected. But all of that requires one for the industry to come together, but then for partnerships to come together. And the coolest glimpse of this has come from Epic and some of the things that they've done with like Star Wars. It's just unbelievable. Some of the the kind of collaborations they've done. I'm completely in awe, very jealous of all the collaborations that those guys have done and just shows how cool it can be. Unreal Engine, is that the same tech that Apple is using for their new goggles or is that some other tech? No, they use Unity. So I'll be very interested. So Unity and Unreal Engine very much compete. They do similar things, but in different ways. So I'll be very interested to see what comes of that. But Apple just doesn't really understand gaming. That isn't their thing. Got it. And so when I think about AR experiences, especially low fidelity AR, I would go immediately to Unity. When you start thinking about high fidelity gaming, Unity is not going to get you there. You're, yeah. you're going to need to be an Unreal. Looking into the future, which I think you've been pondering about for a while, where are you hoping everything goes if everything goes according to your plan? Like, you know, is there, do we need a couple things to intersect in order for a lot of this vision to become reality? Yeah. So here, where I want it to go is Ready Player One, the book. That That is the coolest future, in my opinion. You need both Apple and Facebook, sorry, Meta, to pull off what they're doing. So all the hate that's thrown at Meta, I just don't understand. Like, boys and girls, if you want this technology to exist where you reach in a game and you touch something and you feel it, you need Meta to do, or someone else, but it's going to be somebody. And so they're investing a metric ton of money into this. I am so grateful. And then on the AR side, which really completes the circle, you need what Apple is doing to work. If it doesn't, it could really slow down AR investment by a lot. It will never stop it because the idea is just too cool, but it will slow it down. So those two things really do have to come together. And then industry standards would help a lot, but we can all create our isolated experiences even without that. But that would be cool. I I think everything would be a lot cooler if there were industry standards and I knew that at a minimum, I could go, okay, here's how I want you to render inside my game, but I'm also going to give the instructions for how this will render cross-platform. So when you walk out of my game, you might not look quite exactly the same, but I can render to spec, and then you could take that anywhere. Do you see AI as possibly allowing there to be an open source hardware solution down the road? Or I don't even know if that's even an option, but AI seems to be opening up like so many things so quickly. Do you see whether there could ever be a public goods, open source technology platform? Like you remember back in the day, you could take a cardboard box and you could put your phone into it and you could kind of have an AR, VR kind of experience. Do you see that ever coming or do you feel like that's going to be dominated by the centralized Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple kind of companies? Because you're saying hardware, I'm honestly not sure. I have not spent a lot of time thinking about hardware, but doing hardware well is very expensive and very real world intensive. So if you you know reach out 15, 20 years when it's like AI has revolutionized the world and we get 20,000 years of progress in a single year, it's like, yeah, at, at that point, it's you know any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So sure, at that point, yes. In the near future, you're certainly, I don't think, gonna see that in the next five to seven years. Beyond that, I you're sort of in the event horizon mode of the singularity. What about AI beyond the hardware? Where do you see AI playing into all this? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Give me time scale. Uh, next five years. 
Okay, so next five years, so three years, I have a lot more confidence in what you're gonna see. So over the next three years, what you're gonna see is the beginning of text to world. So you'll type in first person shooter in the style of Fortnite, but with you know the following twist and it'll just exist. So will you get- Or you'll speak years? it. You'll probably even speak it into existence. Don't yeah, you think? also true. So that, that is gonna come a lot faster than people think, but it will still be hemmed in given the realities of hardware. Anything that requires additional hardware is gonna be slower. Now you're talking the five to seven year mark. But yeah, so three years, I think that you get all 3D assets will be either voice to existence or text to existence. Within five years, you're probably text or voice to world. Once you get text or voice to world, that will get hard. And so that's where I actually don't look at that as purely a blessing because everything will be throwaway and it will really come down to, I think things will pop and be cool for a week or two weeks and then they'll just fade away. And so I don't think people yet understand what happens when that happens because it will be boom or bust of untold proportions. It will just be so difficult to sustain a career at that point. So now we start getting anybody that watches my interview content knows I am very conflicted about AI. Like I'm integrating it as fast as I can because I think that that's the only protection against it. And at the same time, I tell people, I think there are three stages of AI. I think it goes something like, first, the people that integrate it will destroy the people that don't integrate it. And then it will briefly go into something that looks almost like a utopia and then it kills us all. Or phase two and three may flip and you go, oh, it wipes out a massive amount of people. And then on the other side, it's a utopia. So both of those scenarios scare the life out of me. So I'm just really trying to focus on phase one, do everything that we can there and be on the interview side of my life, be very thoughtful about trying to help the world think through that problem. And so it's interesting when people interview me about what I'm doing in terms of what I'm building, I very much put an optimistic hat on, but so that people understand I am consistently conflicted. It's just based on what questions people ask, you're gonna get me talking about the first three to five years, in which case I'm pretty optimistic. Outside of that, it starts to get scary real fast. And if we are not very thoughtful, as Elon Musk says, this is a demon summoning circle. Well, I'm with you. I'm very optimistic for the next few years. And I guess time will tell how this thing evolves. Tom, if people want to discover more about you, where do you want to send them? Is it your podcast? Do you want them to connect with you on a certain social platform? And if they in particular want to discover more about impact theory and all the stuff you've got going on with Kaizen and everything else, where do you want to send everybody for all these different things? So at Tom Bilyeu, everywhere is the easiest way to go about it. Twitter is all my Web3 stuff. And then YouTube is where you're going to go for the interview side of my life, which is very different, is almost never about gaming or anything like that. It's solving, thinking through the hardest problems that we face as human civilization. And then Discord obviously is for the most hardcore Web3 people. Perfect. Tom, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. We went down some fascinating discussions. <laughs> Hopefully that have expanded people's perspectives on what's possible today and where the world is going. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W82. 
And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. And would you let your friends know about this show? If you're a longtime listener, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.